Good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. If we haven't met yet, I'm um, one of the pastors here, and it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to be gathering uh, alongside you all this morning. We're going to be reading from Haggai chapter 2 in a moment, but just to say, there's a yeah, I've really enjoyed our morning together. Uh, my sense is that I've been strengthened and built up in the Lord uh, just by hearing your voices as we've sang together, as we've heard an encouragement from Tony this morning, uh, as we've prayed together. Uh, and uh, what's the outcome from looking at God's Word together? Well, my hope is that this morning it would be like we've uh, come to the end of a year of being going to the gym regularly, um, that we would actually see some results of being strengthened in the Lord, that we would walk out of here strong and bold, courageous, ready to do the work of the Lord. So let's read. Let's read God's Word together. We're going to read Haggai chapter 2. Verses 1 through to 9. Chapter 2, verse 1 through to 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say... Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, we long to see your kingdom come in this world. So, Father, as you've spoken to us, as we've heard the reading of your word, would you humble us before your word? Make us humble so that we would obey its ways and not our own. We would submit to what you have to say and live full of joy and faith and hope as we give our lives to the service of your son, Jesus. We ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone uh, loves a weekend trip to Bunnings. It's common for people to rock up needing a $2 light bulb, then walk out with hundreds of dollars of equipment for the backyard no one needs. 
There's a Bunnings close to our house, not a two-minute drive around the corner. There's also a McDonald's just next door. It's a very dangerous combination if you're trying to save money. It's always a fun exercise, uh, buying something from Bunnings, seeing how long on the packet they predict a project will take, and then comparing that to how long the project actually takes. We bought white Venetian blinds for our kitchen a while back from Bunnings, and on the packet it said 45 minutes to install. Let it be known, it did not take 45 minutes to install. Four or five hours later, two or three trips back to Bunnings, maybe a stop or two by Maccas on the way, and it was finally completed. And you know what the problem was? The problem wasn't actually the manufacturers of that product, the problem was actually mine. I was using a masonry build drip, a drill bit to drill through a steel frame. I was using the wrong tool for the job. We're picking up in our series in Haggai where we left off last week. The Lord had called his people to consider their ways, to restart the building of the temple, the house of the Lord, and they obeyed. They rallied together. They put their shoulders side by side for the cause that God had laid before them. They're now four weeks in and discouragement is starting to settle in, particularly for those who had seen the temple in its former glory, back before the Babylonians had destroyed it. Did you catch their words there in verse 3? Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The realisation is settling in for them. They look around, they notice the shrinking resource stockpile that they have. They notice the outrageous amount of tax that they're carting off to Persia. And they see the size of the foundation that's been laid for them to build the temple on. And there's no other conclusion. This temple is going to be nothing. Nothing compared to what it used to be. And no matter how hard they look, they're not going to find the right tool for this job. What will God's word be to this people? Well, to answer that, we need to understand the past, the present, and the future. The past, their high expectations. The present, what God calls them to, and the future. And it's something glorious. So, to start, we've already touched on this briefly, the past. The temple of the past was glorious. But what they see now is as nothing in their eyes. Now, let's remember, this is their temple. It's their place of worship, where they bring offerings and sacrifices, where they find forgiveness from their Lord. It signified the presence and the power of God amongst them. In other words... This temple is what defines this people. Surrounding nations were meant to look into Israel and fear Israel. Don't mess with Israel. Not because Israel was anything special or powerful, but because the creator of heaven and earth dwelt among them. That God had promised to be their God. Don't mess with Israel. And so it would be fitting for them to have a glorious temple 
one that rightly displayed to them and the world that the Lord dwelt among them. Something much like the old one that was built under King Solomon. But what emerges is underwhelming. The reality, reality is settling in, and I reckon it produced a fair amount, amount of fear and doubt. Who are we without our temple? Without our glorious temple? What will other nations think of us? What will they think of our God? God is supposed to be establishing his kingdom on earth, but it's not clear at all that that's happening. In fact, it appears that other nations with their pagan gods offer greater prosperity and greater protection. Now, according to their eyes, they are as nothing. I bet they're feeling fairly discouraged. There's something I can relate to in that. I wonder if this the same for you too. The Lord Jesus has commissioned us to make disciples of all nations. Yet, if I do a rearview mirror analysis, I could count on one hand the amount of people I've personally witnessed become a disciple of Jesus. Add to that, I know of people who have given up on their faith in Jesus. So what am I to conclude? What's the net gain on all of that? Are we just miserably failing at this task of making disciples of all nations? And it actually gets heightened when we look at the tools that we've been given for the task. We can pray. We have a message about a guy who died 2,000 years ago. We have an old book. And we have a bunch of people. That's our tools. That's what God's given us to make disciples of all nations. And that's it. And to be honest, they can appear to our eyes as though they are nothing. They can feel a bit like a drill bit hitting against a steel frame. Do you feel discouraged sometimes when we consider what it is that God has called us to? Yeah, I know I do sometimes. So I can resonate, I can relate to these people who are feeling discouraged here in Judah. So, we've seen how God's people are reacting as they look at the past. Let's turn to see how God addresses them in the present. What's God's word to this discouraged people? It's there from verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. It's the exact words that they need to hear, isn't it? 
It's the exact words. Be strong. Work. Keep going. Do not fear. Why? How? Well, verse 4, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, my spirit remains in your midst. See, according to the covenant he made with them when he brought them up out of Egypt, he promised that he would be this people's God, that this people would be his people. God doesn't deny the challenging circumstances facing this people. God never wants us to pretend that our problems don't exist, that there are actual challenges before us. But he exhorts them, remember the covenant. See, until now, they had been living by sight. Letting what they see determine the strength of their faith, their hope, their resolve in continuing the work of the Lord. But God wants them to live by faith. Faith in the promises of the covenant. To depend on the faithfulness of the God who made those promises in the first place. When they do, when they look by faith and not by sight, they will see that God's spirit remains in their presence. They live by sight. They see an ordinary temple one that will never live up to what they'd hoped for. But if they look by faith, they will see that the maker of heaven and earth is with them. He is in their presence, protecting, guiding, strengthening them. The Bible records a long history of God's presence with his people, giving strength and courage. When Israel were slaves in Egypt, God commissioned Moses to confront Pharaoh. And Moses' reaction, don't send me, send someone else. What's God's words to him? I will be with you. When Joshua stood at the edge of the promised land, full of fortified cities and strong people, God's word to him was this, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And David, as he stared down Goliath, David says these words, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. If we live by sight, we will shudder at the commission that God has given us. The opposition is great. The task is beyond us. live by faith and we will be filled with courage and zeal. There's a children's book uh, that's quite popular. Uh, It's called The Gruffalo. You can actually find it on the shelf at Bean Through, the cafe in Armidale, if you're interested in reading it. Um, 
This will probably re- reveal something about the stage of life that I'm in right now. Uh, kids everywhere, books every day. Uh, it's amazing. Um, this is a story of a little mouse that walks through the woods. Along the way, he encounters certain predators. There's a fox, an owl, a snake, animals that would otherwise have eaten him whole. But he tells these predators about a fierce creature that he's off to meet. His eyes are orange, his tongue is black, he has purple prickles all over his back. It's the gruffalo. And then he'd conclude by saying that the gruffalo's favourite food is something like snake ice cream. And so the snake and all the other predators, they flee. But after escaping his predators along his walk through the forest, the mouse actually comes face to face with the creature of his imagination. And in that moment of great fear, the mouse has a stroke of genius. He tells the gruffalo, I may look like a mouse, but I'm fierce and scary. Even snakes, owls, and foxes are scared and run away when they see me coming. The gruffalo laughs, but entertains the mouse's suggestion for fun. They walk together back through the forest. They meet the fox. The fox sees the mouse and the gruffalo and runs away. They meet the snake. The snake sees the mouse and the gruffalo and runs away. They meet the owl. The owl sees the mouse and the gruffalo and runs away. And then the story ends with the gruffalo running away from this mouse, full of fear, because this mouse makes all of these predators flee from before it. This mouse was able to face the predators along the way because he knew who was with him. The mouse could be bold and courageous because of the one who stood with him. Am I saying that Jesus is like the gruffalo? Yeah, I am a bit. But what were the final words of Jesus to his disciples as he commissioned them to make disciples of the whole earth? He said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is the reigning, unrivaled king of the universe, the ruler of heaven and earth, and he promises to be with us till the very end. And he's loving, he's tender, he's caring, gentle and lowly, he cares for you and me. we can move forward with boldness, with courage, with zeal and perseverance. Because we're strong? No. But because of the one who stands with us, the risen Lord Jesus. We've heard this morning about, under God, what we could do for the cause of the gospel by multiplying congregations here, to participate in making disciples of all nations, to see what it is that we could do as we put our heads and hearts together 
to see more people come to know and love Jesus and to see more people built up in him. And multiplying congregations is a big change. It can generate fears and doubts. I can resonate to fears and doubts. I can remember having serious fears and doubts when I was in my years training to be a pastor. After some serious uh, soul-searching, I came to realise that at the root of these fears and doubts was this thought. How on earth could I be a pastor? How on earth could that even be possible? I'm not particularly smart or impressed probably make a fool of myself by trying. So why try at all in the first place? Anything I put my hand to will likely collapse like a house made of straw. Certainly felt as nothing in my eyes. Big changes can cause us fear and doubt, can't they? Jesus called together 12 disciples and said to them, go and make disciples of all nations. Are you insane, Jesus? There's 12 of us. 12 of us. And you want us to make disciples of every person who exists? You want us to go to the very corners of the world, us 12, and make disciples of all nations? Jesus' words, and behold, I am with you always, the end of the age. Multiplying congregations will cause doubts and fears. As we think about what it is that we want to do and put our heads and hearts together, shouldering side by side, what's Jesus' words to us? And really, regardless of how we choose to go about the task of making disciples of all nations, what is Jesus' words to us? He says that he's with us at the very end of the age. So we've now seen what the people's expectations were looking to the past. We've seen what God calls them to in the present. And finally, we're looking to the future, and it's something glorious. In these final verses of our uh, passage, Haggai points them forward. He points them forward to say that the temple they are engaged in building, this temple uh, that they are building, he says, I will fill with glory. We don't have time to spell out all the details of this section of the, of the passage. But it appears to me that Haggai is describing a great reversal of what's happened to Judah. Let me put it this way. When Babylon invaded Judah, you could describe that as Babylon shaking Judah. And the treasures of Judah left the temple and were carted off to Babylon it seems as though the treasures follow the party with the greatest power. And so Haggai describes a great reversal, a great 
resetting of what is right and good. God will not only shake Babylon or Persia, but have a look at verse 6 and 7. He will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He will shake all nations. God is going to undertake a cosmic reordering in that moment in the future when he finally and decisively establishes his kingdom. And verse 9, it's then and only then that the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. In fact, glory so far beyond what any of them would have experienced or expected. The glory of the former temple built under King Solomon will be like a hill, a little ant mound, compared to the glory of the future temple. And the result will be what? Look down there in verse 9. In this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Peace. Or in Hebrew speak, shalom, which is a concept that has a very long and rich history for Israel. Someone's described it in this way. It's an all-encompassing state of harmony and fruitfulness. It's far more than just economic prosperity. It includes that, but it's nothing less than a total restoration of all relationships. The relationships between God and people, the relationships between people, and the relationship between people and the created order. And the glory returns to the new temple, and God once again dwells in the midst of his people. The result will be nothing short of full salvation. That's where we're heading. That's living the dream. Draw this to a close. I recently did the fun exercise of opening up realestate.com and looking at the value of the property that we bought in Seville Grove a few years ago when it was first built. The property and the house were sold in 1990 for $23,000. And that's all. It's the 20th of the price that it is now. And it is worth, it's so much worth more now. Most people of those who are alive will look at that and see nothing but regret. Why didn't I buy a hundred of those in 1990? That's going to be absolutely nothing compared to what we will experience when God finally establishes his kingdom Finally and decisively, the house of the Lord might look like a $23,000 worth piece of property. But it is going to be so much more in the future. Filled with glory. God dwelling with his people. Let's be clear.
church is not impressive. It's not. Have you seen your pastors? Have you seen each other? What do we have? We can pray. We have a message about a guy who died and rose again 2,000 years ago. And we have an old book and a bunch of people. Not particularly glorious or impressive. But that's only if you live by sight. We look by faith, we will see that God is building this house into something glorious. And the tools we have are the tools that God is using to build it up. So having heard from the word of God, we can go forth with courage, with strength, with zeal and perseverance. We can do the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Father, please would you humble us before your word. We receive it with faith and repentance, and particularly this morning. Might we cherish your promise to us that you would always be with us to the very end of the age. And so... Fill us with courage. Fill us with strength and zeal to engage in making disciples of this world. And to the risen Lord Jesus, to him be glory in the church throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.